Hello and welcome to the Majlis Podcast Radio Free Air Radio Liberties Current Affairs Talk Show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Muhammad Tahir, host of the Majlis and Radio Free Air Radio Liberties Media Manager here in Washington, D.C. We are again back to proving tensions on the Afghan-Central Asia border and the topic for this episode is the rocket landings in Tajikistan fired from the Afghan territory. The terrorist group Islamic State Khurasan, also known as ISK, claimed the responsibility for the latest attack as well as the one allegedly fired at Uzbekistan earlier, which was the topic of the conversation on the Majlis podcast last week. So these events come following growing online and offline threats by the militant group against the authorities in Central Asia, and the group remains active in the safe havens just across the border in Afghanistan. It is unclear what comes next, but ISK's grooving profile in internal and external threats not only questions the Taliban has promised to make the country safe for Afghans and for its neighbors, but also raises questions about what comes next. To discuss all these, I'm joined by Dr. Susanna Levy-Sanchez, non-resident fellow at the American University School of International Services, and also the author of the book called The Afghan Central Asia Borderlands, the State and Local Leaders. Mujib Rahman Atal is joining us, who is the doctoral candidate at the Friedrich Alexander Universität Erlangen. Langen Nuremberg in Germany, who hails from Kunduz province in northern Afghanistan. I hope, Mujib, I have not destroyed your, your university's name here. Um, so thank you very much for joining us. And also Tahir Jan Safarov, senior editor at 3D for the Liberties, Tajik service, locally known as Rodi Ozadi, and Bruce Panier, the author of 3D for the Liberties, Central Asia in Focus weekly newsletter. Thank you, colleagues, for joining us in this important conversation. So uh, just uh, you know, before the podcast, we were talking with Bruce. Lately, it sounds like we are back to where the idea of the Majlis podcast was born like eight years ago when the security developments in northern Afghanistan was uh, reached to the point where it began threatening the, the whole region. As we discussed alleged rocket attacks at Uzbekistan last week, this week we are talking about similar incident repeating at Tajik-Afghan border. So it's a fresh development but what we know so far is that ISK has claimed the responsibility like they did with the last incident involving Uzbekistan. In this case though, we are seeing a sort of immediate consequences of this uh, growing tension with the Tajik-Afghan border crossing reportedly being closed at the Shirhan Bandar. Tokhirjan, so let me start uh, with you. You know, we heard the news first about the, this rocket landing in Tajikistan from the Tajik authorities. So what we learned so far about the incident? Before uh, talking about this, I would like to add that today we uh, saw the video posted in AMAC news agency and ISIS claimed that they shot seven rockets inside the Tajikistan, even Tajik authorities said this with a small uh, statement that the shots were fired accidentally. But the video showed that that the car, white cars, staying close to the Hanj River and in front of uh, Tajik uh, military barrack. And the video is very short and uh, you see the clearly that the shot were fired intentionally to that barrack, but they fell close to that barrack and there is no damage, but the place is also unknown. We can't say that it's Tajikistan, but it resembles that. So they did not say anything about the rocket attack, just the first statement that I have mentioned. They said that the shot were fired the Taliban and the ISIS were, there were war between ISKI and the Taliban fighters and some shots were accidentally 
fired toward Tajikistan. But at the same time, as you know, the Tajik uh, authorities that said that the all border troops were brought to full military readiness. And uh, after that, we did not get any uh, statements uh, from uh, Tajik authorities, mm. but some speculation in Tajik uh, local media. Mm. That's very, very interesting. Like, you know, the, the way this story with the attack at Uzbekistan also developed in the same way. Like first, uh, I said that this is what they did. And then Taliban came out denying and also Uzbek authorities denying. And then video came out on social media. And yeah, yeah, that's how I guess it, it works these days. So in terms of any specific details, uh, Jan, about those rockets, you said seven. And also, I guess it might be complicated to, to find out where exactly it, they landed in. And I guess, um, you know, more importantly here is your reading of the Tajik uh, authorities' statement on what they said and what they did not say. Anything to add on that aspect? You know, as they did not say about any, like, how many rockets were fired, mm. how many mm. shots were fired, mm. and they just said it, but the, all the uh, troops are brought to full combat readiness, mm. so that's why they didn't mention that this is a serious incident, mm. but uh, it appears that the situation is more serious than they mm. say. Mm. And uh, our uh, analysts, and we talk to the people, mm-hmm. and they say that, that if the old border troops are in um, full military readiness, it means that, that the situation is uh, very serious and the Tajik government is uh, getting ready for something more serious. Mm-hmm. So it, it means that the Tajik uh, authorities just wants to uh, hide something and uh, like show to the world yeah. that, that the, the country is uh, safe and yeah. they... Uh, there is like nothing there is uh, going on mm-hmm. in uh, Tajik Afghan border. Yeah, I'm not surprised by the reaction. Similarly, the Uzbek authorities still do not even acknowledge if there was any attack or attempted attack from Afghanistan. In the meantime, following the incident, number of Uzbek military helicopters are allegedly seen in the air on the Afghan side of the border patrolling the area. I guess this is how it goes these days. But, uh, you know, you know, it just makes our job a little harder. But there is no way these types of um, things can stay hidden anymore in this age of social media. So on the other side of the border, Mujib, what did the Taliban say so far about this particular incident with Tajikistan? Oh, Bill, uh, actually, I did not follow um, exactly what Taliban uh, stated about that. Mm. Uh, but certainly what is clear that the Taliban are not able to control the border, how the Afghan security forces were ensuring the security across the border. If you look at uh, post-2001, there were thousands of uh, forces that they came to the northern provinces and they started with uh, equipping the border police and also training them. They were Americans, they were Germans and there were different battalions across the border which were ensuring the security and they were also trained. But this is suddenly disappearing after August 15th that the Afghan government collapsed. Mm. And what uh, Taliban is expressing, uh, they are also denying, and uh, as you already referred to the Uzbek case, previously they denied these cases as well, but there are clear evidence that the Daesh of Khorasan is a 
able to launch this kind of attacks across the border. Officially, they have uh, denied this kind of activities and they are exposing Daesh that they are unable to launch such activities across the border. But what we see in last um, few months, actually, the Taliban have not been able to ensure security across the borders, not only between Tajikistan and Afghanistan, but also between Iran and uh, Afghanistan, as well as Uzbekistan. There were also clashes uh, along the border with uh, Konar in -hmm. Pakistan. Mm -hmm. What is obvious is that uh, Taliban are not able, technically and also in terms of manpower, they don't have that capabilities and knowledge to ensure these uh, these borders. That is why officially they are denying. Mm -hmm. But what we see, it's clear that Daesh and other radical groups and terrorist groups, they have that capability to establish themselves across these borders and to launch uh, such attacks. Yeah, the, you know, the, the, there are so many questions about it, whether Taliban are unable to provide security, unable to prevent any ISIS, ISK against neighbors, or they are incompetent, or maybe they are complicit. So, you know, there are so many interpretations of what is going on currently, because, you know, w- why I'm saying that, the, you know, the, this attack comes following a threatening statements by the pro-Taliban leader Hikmatyar against the authorities in Tajikistan the other day. He was saying like by hosting opposition leaders, Dushanba has uh, sort of declared a war against the Taliban-run Afghanistan. Bruce, we were talking about this earlier. So tell us about what Hikmatyar was saying and how this connects to what we are talking about in terms of the this escalation at the border. Well, if you look at the um, neighboring countries, they have had a kind of friendly approach towards the Taliban. And uh, we see the embassies of these countries uh, and even their envoys, uh, they already visited the Uzbek envoy, uh, the foreign ministers and uh, different authorities from uh, neighboring countries, including China, Iran and Uzbekistan, Pakistan. They have already visited the Taliban in Kabul and their authorities. But uh, what uh, makes it uh, very different, Tajikistan is actually a safe haven now for the opposition and for those who are uh, the high-ranking officials uh, of the former government, and now they are in Tajikistan. And uh, of course, Tajikistan is the only country where the Afghan embassy is very active and they have a very strong anti-Taliban stance. And uh, of course, we do not see this kind of uh, relationship, which makes uh, Tajikistan very distinguished and unfriendlier compared to other countries towards the Taliban. And that is why, as, as you already mentioned, Daesh could be used. It is a kind of double-edged sword, which can cut both sides. And it can be instrumentalized in this current uh, situation between the Taliban and Tajikistan. I remember that previously, Taliban officials also mentioned that uh, yeah, we can retaliate this kind of unfriendlier approach of the Tajik government towards the Taliban. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you already mentioned, yeah. It is actually providing a safe haven to all these uh, former Afghan politicians, yeah. which are which is now resisting the Taliban in mm. Panjshir yeah. in other areas. Yeah, well. that, that's that's kind of adding a new layer into the complication. In fact, I want to hear Bruce's ideas on that as well. So, Mujib, thank you very much for jumping in. Um, 
Susanna, let me start with you. Do you see any connection here between this growing security threat at the border with a, like a kind of broader picture developing situation in which like the types of thing that we heard from Hikmatyar and also Hikmatyar is not a kind of a lone fox here. Like earlier, we have heard Taliban uh, also saying sort of unfriendly words against uh, Tajik authorities. The reasons being obviously those opposition members, some of them are based in, in Tajikistan. The other thing is Tajikistan continue to hold those aircrafts that were flown by the former Afghan officials to Tajikistan and Tajikistan is not returning them. So what I'm saying is like, do you see any connection between this growing rhetoric on behalf of the Taliban or by the Taliban and this tension at the border? Well, I think there's several things here. First of all, the Taliban are in kind of a tough spot because they have to keep their street credibility by not partnering with these neighboring countries or being seen as a partner. And ISIS-K has been using that against them. So when Hekmatyar makes that threat or the Taliban government makes the threat about the helicopters, I think the Taliban government knows full well they're not getting the helicopters, in my opinion. But I also think they can't be seen as folding. I do not, I still, as before, do not think that the Taliban government is going to engage in any kind of actual conflict with the Central Asian republics at this point. I don't see that happening. There might be a bit of a war of words, but so so that's so the first issue is the Taliban and the second issue is ISIS-K. So I'm just going to continue a little more on the Taliban issue. There's a couple important rumors. One is that allegedly the Chinese are helping to build a base in Shaimak in Tajikistan, and there have been negotiations about joint trainings with the Chinese and Afghans on that base in Tajikistan. The drug trafficking and various other types of flows, even though the border is closed, are still going on. So it's not like there's a full conflict where the lockdown is stopping everything. On the other hand, the ISIS Khorasan, which I'm not an expert in, but um, I did discuss a few months ago Mm -hmm. that they would, of course, they're going to seize the opportunity Mm -hmm. and they're going to try to recruit. And I think they have been doing that. I think that these rockets, it is really hard to say whose account is the truth, so to speak. Did ISIS-K actually fire the rockets at the Tajik um, outpost? And if they actually did, why didn't they hit it? I mean, seven rockets, it seems like they could have hit the outpost, but they didn't hit anything. That's one thing. There's the other thing that the Tajik government says it was accidental and it was fighting between ISIS Khorasan and the Taliban itself which seems a little more likely. Okay, let's also take, Bruce, uh, your thoughts on this, in this developing situation, like when we have heard several sort of uh, uh, statements and Tajik authorities saying something, ISK saying something else, and Taliban has a different interpretation of the situation. I don't know who said this. I mean, the, the accidental rocket landing was as a result of the fighting between ISK and Taliban in Takhar province. And I, I heard that there is fighting taking place in Takhar province, but that's not between Taliban and ISK, but that is between between the opposition groups led by Panjshiris and the Taliban, but maybe I, I don't have full picture. So how do you read through all these statements and what's your takeaway from that? Well, first off, I'll go with the Tajik government. They don't ever want to say that ISK has been able to stage an attack mm-hmm. on Tajikistan. If you remember what happened with the with the bi- foreign bicycle a few years ago, the tourists, right? Mm-hmm. And the same thing when when that happened, the Tajik government didn't mad. They did not want to say it was it was anything to do with the ISIS or ISK or anything like that. I mean, they blamed the the Tajik opposition for as long as they could until it became mm-hmm. so obvious that these guys were were actually part of ISIS. And but they don't even like to bring up the the name. Uh, you know, I would imagine a lot of that is because they don't want 
helping them encourage their own citizens or let them know that, that these people are actually close or anything like that. Remembering that the war minister of ISIS was a former Amon commander from Tajikistan for a while, Gulmurad Halima. So I, I think they don't want to make this information too public or make it sound like ISK was actually able to land rockets in Tajikistan because they're not sure about their own citizens in Tajikistan at the moment. And that might give some small element the idea, the same people that Hikmat Yar was talking about, that maybe there's a, another group that's, that can challenge the Tajik government. And I think Uzbekistan reacted as it did, like the Tajik government did, for the same reason. But, you know, the, the, the point, as we've heard, all these different groups, the thing I think is, is most alarming is that there are so many different groups now operating in, in northeastern Afghanistan at the moment. You know, it's not ISK has carried out attacks on two different Shia mosques, yeah. uh, Kunduz and one in Mazari Sharif just last month. They fired, tried to fire rockets into Uzbekistan. They, they apparently have fired rockets into Tajikistan. That's one group. You know, now we got the Taliban, of course, and they're saying that they're, that none of this stuff ever happened, which is in their interest to kind of like the Tajik or Uzbek government. It's not ISK. Yeah. They're not a threat because they don't want to let people in northern Afghanistan know that ISK is there and, and maybe ethnic Tajiks, Uzbeks, Turkmen of northern Afghanistan don't like the Taliban, don't want to be part of that. And so they hear ISK is there and they go and join with them. And that might happen anyway, given the Taliban policies. And then there's the National Resistance Front. You know? yeah. So it's starting to look a lot like Syria was, you know, like like seven or eight years ago, yeah. you know, where there's just a, a bunch of different mm. groups, you know, and even within the Taliban, of course, there's, you know, they're, they're up in the north, that's where Jamayat Ansarullah is, yeah. and Tahir knows, and, and I'm sure Mojid also, mm. and Susanna, that's a domestic Tajik terrorist group. Yeah. They're up there. You know, I mean, it, it's a real complicated picture, but that, I think it that's is. the worst part about it, Yeah, is now, that most alarming part is that it is getting so much more complicated yeah. than it was. It's yeah. not just Taliban. Yeah. You know, and, and also I'm looking into this from a different perspective. Like, you know, we heard what the Taliban said. I mean, either Taliban in this specific case, rocket landings in Tajikistan and earlier at Uzbekistan, either they are incompetent or complicit in both ways it's so dangerous when you look into the trajectory of those events so and also it is just not limited to this event there's a background as bruce you were talking about as to the negative trajectory in the bilateral views of tajik authorities in the taliban in afghanistan and isk and we are seeing now beginning of a violent opposition in afghanistan against the taliban through the group hikmatyar claims to be based in tajikistan you know this is adding a new layer into this complication in the meantime aside from the taliban is or isk has its own history in Tajikistan, as you were talking about, Bruce, uh, with the previous incident involving the attacks on foreign cyclists and then the growing online threat through ISK-run channels against authorities in Tajikistan, etc. So it is just not one event. There is a kind of sequence of events that's coming together. So in a broader picture, what is really happening here and where things are probably headed going forward? Let's continue the conversation talking about these and many other questions very shortly. Let me recap the debate that today on the Majlis podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Susanna Levy-Sanchez, a non-resident fellow at the American University of International Services and the author of the book called The Afghan Central Asia Borderlands, The State and Local Leaders. Mujib Rahman Atal is joining us, who is the doctoral candidate at the German University. In, he's originally from Kunduz province in northern Afghanistan. Tahir Safarov is joining us, who is the senior editor at the Radio for Pedro Liberty's Tajik service, locally known as Rodeo Ozadi, and Bruce Panier, the author of Radio for Pedro Liberty's Central Asia in Focus 
weekly newsletter. I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis and Radio Free the Liberties Media Manager here in Washington, D.C., and we are discussing the growing cross-border tension on the Afghan-Tajik border. So the big picture analysis, maybe, Susie, this is your area. So what is really happening here and why we are seeing this? <laughs> That's a big question. Um, well, I think that since the Taliban is unable to actually form a legitimate government, there are these separate groups that are fighting back, whether it's the resistance, the Pancheri resistance, mm. or the ISIS-K, or, you know, various other subgroups. I think one of my contacts in Barakhshan recently, yesterday, told me that the Taliban have increased the number of soldiers at the border there. There are no rules on drug trafficking whatsoever. There is an increased rate of addiction there. The Taliban are putting people from outside members of the Taliban in all governmental positions, but they are providing no services whatsoever of any kind. And the people are, while they're primary agricultural farmers, they are getting hungry, which means that you're going to have this large... So let's take Badakhshan. My contact also said that there's no ISIS-K in that part of northeastern Badakhshan, and I'm talking about um, primarily Zibak, Wahan, Ishkashem area along the border. But when you think about it, if there's going to be an increase in drug addiction, an increase in drug trafficking, an increase in hunger, and then absolutely no governmental services, you're going to eventually have anarchy. So that's one part of it. The other part is the last thing any the great powers, so to speak, China, Russia, India, U.S., EU, want is to have some radical spillover going out throughout the Central Asian countries. So when you look at the allegedly the ETIM, the Eastern Turkestan Islamic Movement, that was had a small resistance group up in, on the Chinese border of Afghanistan. Allegedly, the Taliban stamped that out because the Chinese insisted they they stamp it out. There's also that whole, whole border in northeastern Badakhshan where they've increased troops, and that's likely, I would say, that. China has said, you better control this area. And I think then it's also hard to say what Russia's position is. I mean, one rumor I did hear, if I may just put it out there, I don't know if anybody else has heard it, is that since Lavrov was in Dushanbe and Russians want to increase a presence at the border, some of the shenanigans potentially on the Afghan side, like the rocket launches at the Tajik base that didn't actually hit it, were supported covertly Mm. that is a complete rumor and i don't know if you know if anybody else heard it so i think it's really pretty complicated with the big picture but Mm. but what i do know for sure is that number one the taliban is not going to want to destroy relations with china russia india right now or china in particular i I do not think that's going to happen so there's an incentive for them to try to keep the border under control which is why they have increased some troop presence in badakhshan Mm. On the other hand, on Tajikistan's side, they also have an incentive to quietly work with the Taliban in some ways, because I'm sure they want to be able to allow certain types of trade to continue. They do not want 
any kind of struggle with the Taliban. I don't think Russia wants the struggle. The U.S. doesn't want the struggle, and they want to keep getting the funding yeah, but, from outside sources. We so have, we I have, think so far we have know. not seen Tajikistan is trying to reach out to the Taliban. In in fact, the, the way that uh, Tajikistan is hosting those opposition leaders and opposition leaders in Afghanistan are picking up arms and you know causing tension for the Taliban. It doesn't look like there is any sort of a conversation going on between Tajik authorities and the Taliban at this moment. You know, Tajikistan, aside is keeping those helicopters, also keeps insisting that there is to be an inclusive government in Afghanistan. And Taliban doesn't seem to be anywhere close to doing that. So I just don't see any kind of activity, any kind of needle moving towards sort of relationship building between Tajik authorities and Taliban at this moment. But on the other side, you raised a couple of questions here. I, I would like to invite uh, our other speakers to respond to that. But I just want to say one thing. For example, you know, based on China's demand, Taliban ha- was very quickly able to crush those Uyghur militants. I am sure that, you know, many of the, those countries like China, Tajikistan and Russia, None of them wants to see a active ISK present in Afghanistan. But Taliban are not taking the ISK threat as serious as they might have taken the Uyghur militants, for example. I mean, that kind of raises question, at least on my view, where Taliban stands. And then I keep coming to this question again and again. I, I have raised this issue last week on the podcast as well. Yeah, just not going back to the same discussion, but maybe let me bring you Bruce here in terms of the timing. Usually, uh, when we see a developing story like this, timings kind of tell us what really might be happening uh, behind the scene here. So from the timings perspective, Bruce, does the timing tell you anything and why we are seeing this kind of uh, growing cross-border incidents involving allegedly ISK, I mean, rockets? Well, I mean, the easiest explanation is that it's spring and it's campaigning season and we're heading into summer. So it's, they have an opportunity to do it a better opportunity than they would in November or December or something when things were relatively more quiet there. That's most likely most likely the reason. But clearly, um, you know, at least from ISK, they, they had, seem to be trying to exploit areas in the north because this is like one of the threads that runs through this whole conversation is that there are all these ethnic minorities in the north, the Uzbeks, the Turkmen and Tajiks. And they're, they, you know, we, we saw, we talked about it last week too, right after the Taliban came to power, a lot of Pashtuns, you know, threw Turkmen farmers and Uzbek farmers and stuff off their land. And it, I even heard stories that happened to, to Tajiks too, where they confiscated their property. So they didn't do a whole lot to make themselves popular up in the north. And, and then ISK is always looking for someplace they can get in on this. So this is why they seem to be focusing on the north is because they understand the discontent of the ethnic minorities that inhabit the north and figure that these are groups they can draw recruits from. Now, what's what's even more interesting is that, we, as we mentioned, Jamayat Ansarullo, there's still members of the Islamic movement of Uzbekistan who are either with Jamayat Ansarullo or with the Taliban or something. But of course, these are ethnic Uzbeks and Tajiks from Uzbekistan and Tajikistan. If ISK starts to recruit among the ethnic minorities of the north, where does that leave these people who have been allied with the Taliban? Would the Taliban still consider them that good of allies, that, you know, that strong of allies that they don't have to worry about them? Or would they start to think that these guys will side with the ethnic Uzbeks? and ethnic Tajiks 
who are peeling off and joining ISK or the National Resistance Front or something. And then you get this whole cycle of the Taliban repressing the local minorities and, and engendering greater hostility toward themselves. And, and the recruitment, you know, other groups opposing the Taliban grows. Again, that's one of the things I think is comp- is the real complication of this whole thing. The timing is probably because of the spring, but I think mm-hmm. it's also because a lot of groups understand that the Taliban have not made themselves popular since they mm-hmm. got back to power in August. And now is the time to go out and see if you can't draw some local groups or communities to your side for what appears to be a, a long struggle. Mm-hmm. So from the uh, other side of the border, Tahir John, so when the uh, Tajik authorities looks into Afghanistan, you know, see these ISK militants roaming around in northern Afghanistan or close to bordering areas, how much of a trip they are seeing from the perspective of Tajik authorities? I've heard that they say that beyond Tajik commitments of mm-hmm. uh, not allowing Afghan soil to be used as a base launch for attacks against its neighbors, they say that there is no robust uh, counterterrorism policy in uh, in the gov- uh, Taliban government so that's why like ISK and other um, extremist group as uh, Bruce mentioned regrouping and and uh, trying to reestablish their sanctuaries in uh, border that's why they they say that that uh, this is one of the problem that the Taliban cannot control these uh, groups and and that's why this uh, attacks happening and uh, we know that that the ISK is uh, a small but very dangerous footprint in Afghanistan and we maybe also you know that they they said that its uh, operational uh, strengths after the Taliban came to the power is about four to five thousand fighters mm. and uh, as Bruce said was also Tajik uh, fighters is among them and we have yeah. seen a lot of videos of that the guys are fighting in Afghanistan so also there is uh, we, we talked to uh, analysts and they some of them say that that the attacks could be uh, like uh, Taliban's job because they say that, that there is perception among uh, Taliban that Russia is now was uh, in war with Ukraine and they can put some pressure Mm-hmm. Uh, on Central Asian uh, government like in Tajikistan to achieve uh, what they want to uh, recognize them and uh, also return that uh, helicopters and, uh, and airplanes that and silence uh, those opposition uh, yeah, figures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Russia's involvement in Ukraine is certainly a factor, um, you know, whenever we talk about Central Asia these days. Mujib, I think your, you know, local perspective is also very important here. So in terms of the ISKs present in areas like Kunduz and Takhar, how active are they locally? Well, if I have to refer to some of the discussions in the points already mentioned, Shifting sides, well, this is the reality. Mm. We had Uzbek and Tajik uh, Taliban. Uh, they were fighting in different provinces in the north uh, along the Taliban. Are we talking about the, Uzbek Tajiks of Afghanistan here or the Uzbek Tajiks from across the border? Uh, I mean across the, the border. Okay. And uh, they were actively uh, moving uh, like in different provinces and mm. they were uh, active with the Taliban and mm. they were in the front lines. But after the Taliban took power, mm. we see uh, the different in the area of claims. Mm. Taliban had a claim to govern Afghanistan, mm. but uh, the caliphate has different claims. And even the 
Taliban cannot offer them a position. They cannot integrate them, these uh, Uzbek uh, radicals or Tajiks within their uh, government. And therefore, we can see a kind of a shifting here. There is no option for them uh, without joining the Daesh in northern provinces. Mm-hmm. Besides this, I have to point out that uh, there were strong warlords in Kunduz province, mm-hmm. also in Tahar, in all northeastern provinces. And they were integrated within the new government government which was established in 2001 and from one side they were involved in drug trafficking but from another hand they were also integrated within the government somehow they were active across the border in some points they were ensuring the security but in in another hand they were also doing their own business but after Taliban took power all these networks have been destroyed now this is a very good opportunity one of our participants also mentioned about the increase in drug trafficking, I'm not sure if this would happen until these networks are reorganized. Mm-hmm. There will be new networking across the border, new groups will be uh, emerging. And this is also a good opportunity for Daesh to do um, these uh, activities across the border, whether they have the capability to launch large-scale attacks or to demonize the Taliban. This would go hand in hand, uh, but anyhow, yes, they are active uh, in uh, northern provinces in Kunduz across the border yeah as the other colleagues also mentioned the northern northeast is very diverse in terms of ethnic groups there are Uzbek Turkmen yeah there's this room for maneuver in reorganizing and re-establishing and we will witness a new emerging kind of networks which will be also involved in drug trafficking as well as insurgency as well as terror activities across the border What's their relations there on the ground in Kunduz and Takhar with the Taliban? I mean, are they known where they are based and are their bases known by the Taliban? Whether they have any working relations with the Taliban, whether they are enemies, how it looks like? Well, uh, there were fighters that they were working shoulder by shoulder with the Taliban, but mm. nowadays they, they have been separated. But, uh, you know, this re- relation is not very clear because the Taliban do not have a very evident structure, and that's why this command is also not following step by step, and even they don't have a kind of power on on the subordinates mm. in the border. And that's what uh, the government uh, of Taliban in Kabul says, this will be implemented also in the border. Mm. That is why we see lots of misunderstandings, lots of uh, clashes along the border lines with uh, Iran, for example, Pakistan. Therefore, this relation is very blurred, but anyhow, like there are uh, different ethnic groups, uh, Uzbek, Turkmen, and Tajiks, and they have also cross-border ties, and for them, it is easier to be hidden within these communities, and whenever they get the opportunity, of course, they would reorganize themselves. You are saying, cr- yeah, you are saying cross-border ties. What does that mean? I mean, ethno-linguistic ties. So I know people in Imam Saib and district that mm-hmm. they still have relationship with the other side of the border. And uh, for for many families and for many of these ethnic groups, they have been there for a longer time. And it is also easier for those people, for Tajiks, to, to, to hide themselves among these communities. And whenever they get the opportunity, of course, they would reorganize. And that is why it is also easier for them to shift sides from the Taliban to Daesh. Mm. I'm just imagining the situation in which like those rockets were fired to Tajikistan or to Uzbekistan earlier. If Taliban wants, they can go after and catch them and punish them. 
aren't they? I don't think so, because Taliban do not have a kind of a power in all those areas. Afghanistan is uh, uh, mentioned, uh, mm. we have different ethnic groups, very diverse. It is very decentralized and there is no power structure. For them, it is not easy to find these people. Uh, for example, in Panjshir, this is a valley, uh, they are Panjshiris, they are speaking Farsi. It is easier for them to launch their uh, operations there. But uh, across the border or across these uh, districts, it is very difficult for them that they would rec- would be able to recognize if they are affiliated to Daesh or other uh, groups. They wouldn't be able to do so because uh, among the Tajiks in different uh, eastern, uh, northeastern provinces, other ethnic groups, they don't have a stronghold. They don't have uh, a social base. That is why for them it wouldn't be easy to uh, detect and uh, find these people. Well, interesting. Sorry for, you know, we, we got into this, this very local perspective on this ISIS uh, question in northern Afghanistan. So uh, I guess we also need to really wrap the conversation here. So uh, I think the, the bigger question here is, again, going back to you, uh, Sozi, bigger question is, yes, we have seen number of signs here, like those accidental, let's keep it in that way, rocket fallings in Tajikistan or earlier rocket firings to Uzbekistan, and then online threat that we discussed this issue with plenty of details last week. I mean, it is just not on the ground activity here. Also, there is a whole new uh, discussion taking place online through the ISK-run channels. You know, the threats going on against Central Asian authorities there, including authorities in Tajikistan. I mean, these rockets are not falling just in the vacuum. There is a whole context in which this is taking place. So within that perspective, uh, Suzy, so what could come next in this conversation? That's a good question. It's a great question. I'll try to read the tea leaves a little bit here to the best of my ability. But I think ISIS-K has every reason and motivation to try to recruit cells both in Central Asian countries and uh, Afghanistan itself. I think what Mojib said, said is that in certain groups, it's going to be very difficult for them. And so, I mean, if either there's going to be more people defecting and looking either toward the Panjshiri resistance or the ISK resistance, mm. or the Taliban at some point will begin to actually have a government and try to include other groups, which I highly doubt. So I think that in terms of down, you know, what we might see coming up is there's going to be more attacks from ISK. I think ISK is also going to uh, take responsibility for attacks that they may not necessarily mm. have perpetrated, but yeah. since nobody's taking responsibility or they don't know, they will take responsibility. Mm. I think that the Taliban, on the other hand, is unable, as Mujib said, I do not believe they can control ISK whatsoever. But if you look at the border area I was talking about in Badakhshan, northeastern Badakhshan, uh, there is almost no ISK presence there. The Taliban do have a many soldiers there, and there's no way for the ISK to get a foothold among the Ismailis because, number one, they view them as infidels, and the Ismailis will not join ISK. I mean, the Ismaili um, populations there. So I think, I think there's, I'm going to just wrap that up. I'm going to say ISK is going to continue attacking as much as possible. They might be a small group, but they're going to, gain support between different defectors. I think the Panjshiri group and the resistance is going to continue and exploit that as much as possible. I think Tajikistan is going to try to thread the needle. They're not going to support the Taliban, but they're also not going to to start any kind of conflict because they have too much pressure from outside greater powers. And I think that lastly, the Taliban government 
is either going to try to step up a little bit or they're going to continue to have increased anarchy in the northern areas in particular. Um, there are a couple of points there, but I mean, since we have to conclude the conversation, but let me say this. You said, Sozi, the Taliban not being able to control ISK. Even if we go with this theory, this is also a dangerous scenario, particularly mm-hmm. in this in this kind of situation. I mean, you never know what the ISK's next action will look like. We know their intention. We know why they are present there in the, pr- in the first place. But uh, since we have to conclude the conversation, so let me bring you uh, guys here briefly, if you could, in terms of where your eyes will be to determine what's next in this conversation. Let me start with you, Tahir John, and then Mujib, and then uh, we will end with Bruce. Tahir John, as a journalist, where you will be looking at in terms of where this conversation goes from here? I think that, that uh, there will be also more regrouping inside Afghanistan, and as Tajik authorities say, the, the, the extremist groups and terrorist mm-hmm. group threat in uh, the border will increase, but we don't know the exact uh, the scope of the this attack, but I'm sure that the Tajik uh, authorities said and they predicted that there would be more threats from coming from Afghanistan because Afghanistan was always a hub of exporting jihad and also terrorism. So I think that the threats also will grow and there will be more attack, not big scopes, but th- this kind of attacks and pressure on Tajik government. And also we see that Tajikistan is also recruiting more soldiers and even we see that they recruiting more students to the army and it's a sign of that they're getting ready for something else and something bigger. Interesting. Well, Mujib, your thoughts on that? I mean, kind of a future-looking scenario in terms of where your eyes are going to be uh, to determine what comes next after this stage. Well, I'm just uh, curious that how the political relationship between uh, Tajikistan and, uh, and the Taliban would develop mm. in, in the future. This mm. is also influencing uh, the situation on the mm. ground. Mm. If uh, this has developed positively, there might be some attempts by the Taliban to prevent some of uh, such activities mm. uh, across the borders. Otherwise, as I mentioned, from one hand, Taliban are not able to do so. Mm. From another hand, it would also let it to do because there is this tension between these two countries mm. and the position is already there. I would like to mention that, uh, unfortunately, the Tajik Taliban case is very different uh, compared to other neighboring countries. Hmm. Okay, Bruce, uh, your thoughts, and also just to add one more thing there, I mean, the uh, new cycle of violence involving the Panjshir-centric opposition groups against the Taliban, and the fact that, uh, you know, their leadership is based in Dushanbe is, again, adding a new layer into this complication between the Taliban and Tajikistan. But anyway, so I just want to end the conversation with your thoughts, Bruce, and where you will be looking at. Uh, what the Taliban do to try to restore order. I mean, there's not much they can offer the local populations of the north. As Suzanne pointed out, they can't they can't feed them. They're, they can't do really anything to help out with infrastructure or anything like that. So there's nothing they can really offer them. You know, we were talking about why couldn't the Taliban track these guys down and just and put an end to it. Well, I suppose they could if they used their usual tactics, which would be to drag a bunch of people out, beat them, mm-hmm. torture them, and maybe kill a few so that they get some information on where these people are. But, you know, and that's probably what they're going to do is that those kind of methods, and that will make them more unpopular in the North, and it will, as Suzanne said, it will send people looking for an alternative. Now, whether they think that they're better off with ISK or whether they think they're better off with the Panjshiri resistance or maybe some other group will show up. But, you know, we've already seen the Taliban methods. I mean, they execute people all the time, still are doing it. I can't believe that they're going to be able to 
bring stability to the north, and I think that they will make the situation worse as they try to find out where ISK is and put an end to it. Mm. And obviously, you know, Taliban being pulled into so many things also not helping. Like, you know, they are now engaged with those armed groups, and there's, uh, you know, huge social problems that they have to deal with within the country. And on the top of that, they keep adding unnecessary problems into the list of problems that they already face. Like, you know, the other day, we have seen the Burqa decree. You have this uh, secondary school. Uh, female students are still being deprived of right to education. And then all that kind of adds up into the problem that they already face in terms of the international recognition. And on the top of that, you know, now we have this uh, sort of cross-border tension proving up involving the, uh, the group that is based in Afghanistan. Let's see where the conversation uh, goes from here and wherever it does. We will keep our eyes on, on this platform. So thank you very much, Bruce Panier, uh, the author of Ready for the Liberty Central Asia-focused newsletter, and also big thanks to Dr. Susanna Levy-Sanchez, non-resident fellow at the American University of International Services, Mujib Rahman Atal, doctoral candidate at the Friedrich Alexander University at Erlangen, Nuremberg in Germany, and Tahir Safarov, senior editor at Radio Free for the Liberty's Tajik service, locally known as Rodeo Azadi. So thank you very much, uh, colleagues for your time today. And this is it from me, Mohammed Tahir, Radio for the Liberties Media Manager and host of the Majlis Podcast here in Washington, D.C. Until next week, bye-bye.